This is Not Quite Dead, a gal pal horror movie discussion podcast. We do deep dives on our favorite scary movies, but sometimes we really just like to keep it shallow. I'm your host, Kate. I'm Megan. Get ready for all the spoilers. I hadn't seen any of these movies before deciding to add them. I don't know, before we watched them for this podcast. These are three new vampires to Megan. (laughs) I hadn't seen any of these either. And I genuinely had no idea how many Dracula-related movies there were. Specifically Dracula. Not just vampires, but Dracula movies that there are. Yes. This book... Uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula has been turned into over 30 movies. And I didn't realize this until we started watching. I think the first movie we watched together might have been Bram Stoker's or I don't know. I watched that one and then I moved on to Nosferatu and I was like, wait a minute. All the same stuff's happening. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Count Dracula. And I, you know, looked into that and I was like, oh, this is the same thing, too. There are so many adaptations of this story, and I will admit I have not read the original Dracula novel that all of these adaptations are based on. Um, Because all of them have the same plot line, I feel like I've got a pretty solid understanding of what the book's about, though. (laughs) Yeah, I think if we uh, look at our consolidated notes about all three of these movies, we can pick out the major things that are definitely in the book. (laughs) by the end of this when you hear dracula what is the first thing that pops into your head slick back hair uh pointy fangs and a big long cape i think i think of uh christopher lee's dracula first okay yeah and i actually dressed up as this type of dracula when i was a kid i gotta find a picture so i can stick it on our blog oh that's great (laughs) i love that I think that I also had a a vampire Halloween costume when I was in like fourth or fifth grade as well. But it was that very like shiny polyester long dress. <laughs> Super yeah. fun. My first thought when I hear Dracula is I want to suck your blood. <laughs> Which oh man doesn't come up in any of these movies. No. <laughs> Where did that come from? I know. The Count? <laughs> is that a Sesame Street thing? I don't know. <laughs> it's one of those things that I feel like is part of our cultural consciousness where we're just like, oh yeah, Dracula with his Transylvania accent and that line. And I feel like these are three pretty iconic Dracula adaptations and not once does he say that line, which is so disappointing. <laughs> Or carry that accent. Uh, maybe in Bram Stoker's Bram there's a little Stoker's. bit of it. Yeah. yeah, Bram Stoker's has a wide variety of accents, which we'll get into. Um, but yeah, Gary Oldman does have a... I don't know if I would call it the Transylvania Dracula accent that we think of, but he does have a vaguely Eastern European accent. It's an attempt, which yeah. I can appreciate. Yeah. <laughs> so... <laughs> We are today talking about not one, not two, but three movies in one episode. This is the first time we have ever done 
a mega episode like this. Yeah, we're having a Dracula fest, basically for the reason I called out, which is we didn't really realize these were all the same story until we started (laughs) watching. So we thought it would be fun to compare and contrast all three in a giant episode. Yeah, we're going to go through uh, each of these movies in chronological release order. So starting with Nosferatu and then going into the fabulous Christopher Lee-driven Count Dracula from 1970. Uh, up into more contemporary times, uh, Bram Stoker's Dracula. I didn't even think to check out the Bella Lugosi version as part of this list because Christopher Lee is just so great. And that's what jumps to mind first when I think of like classic Dracula. Honestly, like I mm-hmm. think of how he looks, even though I'd never seen the movie, I've seen like posters or pictures or DVDs. And that's the that's the Dracula I think of. Well, I can see in our podcasting future us doing a season on the universal movie monsters from the Swamp Thing to Bella Lugosi's Dracula. So I'm sure we will get around to that iconic portrayal at some point, but I'm happy that we picked the Christopher Lee version for today's episode. Me too. And I liked how it was spaced out. You know, we had the 20s and then we had the 70s and then we have the 90s. Yeah, I I like the choices we made, and I don't know if I'm going to want to watch the other 27 Dracula movies, but (laughs) I might knock out a couple. Well, I think a third of them do have Christopher Lee in it, so that might be a little bit enticing, Um, but I think we should get into it. Let's start with Nosferatu. Yeah, uh, let's do a really quick summary. I mean, should we do an overall summary or just one for each movie? Let's do a a general plot outline because, as we mentioned, these movies do follow generally the same trajectory. They have some variances, and as we're talking about them, you'll hear that. And then at the end, I think that we'll dig into it a little bit more. But the gist of the story is that London real estate agent, financier, whatever he is, Jonathan Harker, is picking up an account for Transylvanian Count Orlock to purchase some real estate in London. Harker has a fiancé, Mina, who he leaves behind um, in order to go on this journey to Transylvania. Once he gets there, uh, things do not seem all well in this spooky old castle. Uh, Orlock slash Dracula uh, eventually uh, victimizes Harker in one way or another, essentially keep, keeping him or trapping him in the castle. And Orlock Dracula makes the journey back to London with a particular attachment to Mina. The Mina character in all of the adaptations is quite important because Orlock Dracula is, is attracted to the idea of corrupting or killing Mina. Plot varies from here, but... The gist of it is, is that Harker gets out with some assistance from some some side characters, and then Dracula dies at the end. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, spoiler alert, Dracula gets spoiler it. Spoiler <laughs> alert, Dracula dies in one way or another at the end of all of these movies. <laughs> so first on our list is Nosferatu, which came out in 1922 and actually entered the public domain in 2019, which is so recent. Very recent. I love that this movie was an unauthorized adaptation of Dracula. I know. So scandalous. I just imagine that movie making 
any time up until like 1970 was probably super loose. <laughs> totally. Like what are copyrights? I mean, you couldn't follow up on things. Yeah. This stuff wasn't something you could just search in a database. Uh, it was just easy to hide things, right? Mm-hmm. I don't know. They thought by changing a few names and changing the title of the movie, it would be enough to avoid legal action. And they were wrong. <laughs> It's so close. I mean, it is like a beat by beat (laughs) story adaptation with, yeah, just a few things kind of transposed. But I mean, for a 1920s silent film, this movie is really interesting. And I actually found it very engaging to watch. I did too. So I'm pretty new to silent film. I'm not, I'm not like a film aficionado I I like horror movies right that's that's very different so when I went into this movie I really didn't have high hopes I expected it to be like 20 minutes and very fuzzy (laughs) (laughs) but it's like a real deal film with like themes and decent acting at least for the time and a good plot this movie has five whole acts to it it's a full movie yes And it takes itself very seriously as a movie. I think that it's got all of those like lovely silent film trademarks to it. I really wish that, I'm sure that there are places that still do this, but I really wish that there was an opportunity to go see a movie today where there's a live orchestra playing the soundtrack to the movie as you're watching it. Oh, that'd be so cool. be so cool. The original music for... Nosferatu was lost. Uh, There is only like stray pieces left. And so I want to say it was in the 90s that an orchestra um, re-recorded all of the music for Nosferatu. And so so if you go and watch the public domain version now, um, it's not the original music that would have accompanied the film, but is thematically or stylistically very close to what it would have been. Oh, that's so interesting. So did they take like the bits of the music that was left and just sort of piece together what they thought it could be? Yeah, and I think that they looked at like historically what would have music for silent film sounded like at the time as well. So it's it's a recreation of what the music would have been. I'm so glad that I get to drop this name again, uh, second movie in a row, but there is a typo negative version (laughs) of this movie out there on YouTube, and there is a link to it in our blog. (laughs) (laughs) I am definitely going to watch this version (laughs) at some point in my life. That's so funny. I think that this movie, um, it's got so many of the trademarks of silent films, of course. Um, It's got the interstitial dialogue text over you know over the screen which stay on the screen for a very long time I was joking as we were watching it that like maybe literacy rates were really low (laughs) and they needed to give people a lot of time to process what they were reading (laughs) I mean that wouldn't surprise me like literacy rates have pretty much always grown right I mean I think so so that sounds very sound (laughs) I think that they did a good job of um, effects, um, atmosphere, like sometimes with these older movies and even movies like up and and through more contemporary times um, are filmed in a very theatrical way. Like it's directors who are maybe used to working with theater actors. And so there's 
that kind of disconnect with the film. Whereas in this movie, I felt like they really leaned into it being a film, a movie, and like used yeah. effects and like used makeup and shadow play like just like really interesting things to like yes yeah to make it feel like a like a movie actually one of my favorite effects that I still found striking the second time I watched this is the shadow of Nosferatu's hands mm-hmm. uh kind of wrapping around Nina's is that that's one of the names they oh, <laughs> changed right. Nina became Nina <laughs> uh wrapping around her neck in shadow form and it was such a simple effect. It was just a shadow. But it it really, I thought it really conveyed that, like the mysticalness of Dracula mm-hmm. and his calling out to her across the land and, and so forth. Um, so I thought that was a really cool, simple effect that had a big impact. Yes, definitely. The other effect that I thought was cool in this movie and extremely rudimentary is just... Dracula or Nosferatu coming up out of his coffin in a straight, like smooth motion. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's obviously strapped to a board or something, and then they they bring it up. But it's so cool looking and so simple to accomplish. I was thinking, like, oh man, if I were to make a movie with my friends, I could do something like <laughs> that. That's cool. Yes, all of these really like simple practical effects just really pull it together and I think especially with the characterization of Orlock that they go for in this movie is he feels like a monster like from the first time you see him on screen you're like this isn't a person this is a very yeah occult creepy monster that everyone is afraid of yeah he's pretty frightening looking he looks half bat, mm-hmm. like right off the bat. He just looks half animal. Yes, he's got that pale skin, those long fingers. Everything about him, you see him and you're like, oh, there's something inhuman about you. Yeah, they. I thought they did a pretty good adaptation from the book description. I was reading just like the section on his description from the book. They've got the sharp teeth. They've got the big weird bushy eyebrows and like a few pieces of hair around his ears they did a pretty good job and then they just took it a step further and like made him white and like sunken eyes and just almost inhuman it's so good and I think that an interesting thing when reading about this movie is there's a lot of very academic literature out there around um, how people read a lot of anti-Semitism into the physical portrayal of Count Orlock in this movie. I mean, even if you just skim the Wikipedia page, you, they mention it. You know, there's a lot of critics who say, you know, the caricaturization with his his nose and his appearance and whatnot are very reflective of other German portrayals of anti-Semitic things at the time. (laughs) Yeah. It's one of those things like I wouldn't have thought of until I had Googled it. I think my actually my first encounter with Nosferatu was watching the under pressure video from Queen and David Bowie. There's they use some footage from this movie and he just looks like a scary monster Mm -hmm. to me. Like it's not something that crosses my mind until I read about it and I'm like oh shit that sucks (laughs) (laughs) 
I wish that wasn't the case or, you know, that that wasn't part of this. How accepted is that um, in the like film critic world or or these academic papers? Is it pretty much like, yeah. It seems like not everyone buys into it, but there's a lot of scholarship out there about how for a long time anti-Semitic portrayals were linked to like vampires or monsters in general. And oh. so it could be something where maybe this movie isn't particularly anti-Semitic, but because that was the kind of cultural representation and feeling yeah. at the time that people would read into it because, you know, even if the filmmaker isn't intentionally making it like that, if they're like, oh, when I look at monsters or I'm looking at character references to make this monster, all of the other character references out it's there just- are already anti-Semitic. Yeah, it's already part of the zeitgeist of what a monster is. That's so interesting and kind of dark. Yeah, it's a little chicken and egg because, I mean, we don't – I don't know if we have the, like, director's intent of what they were looking for. But if that's what – you know, I mean, this is a European movie made in the 20s. And I don't think that people were kind (laughs) towards towards Jewish people. And they thought (laughs) that it was, like, a very easy shorthand for uh, making something scary. Uh, tons of papers out there um, if you're interested in reading more about that. But it's it's an interesting thing. It's a, it's a controversial thing, too. Yeah. And we're not a controversial podcast, so we're just going to leave it there. <laughs> Enjoy your own search. Don't forget to go back and listen to our Rosemary's Baby episode. <laughs> <laughs> the, you know, the historical reference in this film that comes through really well is the reference to the plague, mm-hmm. as, again, mm-hmm. we talked about in our last episode. This movie was made during the second outbreak of the plague in the New World. It was a German film, but these plague outbreaks were prevalent on everyone's mind. It's actually a really cool device, I think, for this movie where it allows Dracula, or I keep saying Dracula, but he's Nosferatu in this one, keeps getting away with murder back in London because everyone just assumes people are dying from the plague. What a great cover story. Yeah, (laughs) all these doctors are just like I don't know there's a lot of dead bodies but it's also the time of the plague so everyone's got a cross on their door yeah there's some symbolism with him actually bringing over like dirt from his country right it's sort of like he is bringing the literal plague with him Mm -hmm. kind of rolls in and dumps it on everybody in London yes A a thought that I'm having as we're talking about this so we'll see how well articulated it is is this idea of someone coming from Eastern Europe, which is already kind of like an othered place. And there's some things that they say in this movie where they call Transylvania or just this kind of general region, the land of thieves and phantoms. It seems like they're a little like racist, <laughs> little racist. Um, towards, you know, shocker Romani people, which, you know, at this time period, they would have called gypsies. And so this idea of like oh this foreign eastern european influence kind of invading our land and our real estate and corrupting and killing our women is kind of a an interesting one too so i wonder if that has anything to do with it i'm sure that there's a ton of papers on that one as well (laughs) you know there are so many papers about this movie or that include this movie or reference this movie it's so iconic there's just so much the tinting of the movie was something I 
didn't understand at first and didn't realize that it was on purpose. (laughs) I thought maybe the film had been damaged or something, but it turns out this is a pretty standard effect that was used in non-colorized film to kind of just like help you see what's going on. They might use like red for a scene where there's a lot of anger or fury or fire. Um, They would use green if it's like an outdoor scene or in the jungle. Like they literally just tinted things sometimes to match the environment. I think I assumed while we were watching it that the tinting was related to scene changes or to different locations because when you're watching everything in the same kind of like sepia tone it's hard to differentiate when they're in one location versus moving to another one but I didn't look it up so I don't actually know how accurate my assumption was no you're totally right it's used to help differentiate between like times of day or Mm -hmm. places or mood even Okay. Um, So in this movie, we see a lot of yellow and amber, and that's daylight. That's meant to show that it's daylight outside. Um, And then they'll tint it blue when it's nighttime. What's so funny about the nighttime scenes is that's why I thought it was a mistake, because you're looking at the film, and it's clearly during the day. It's shot during the day. (laughs) (laughs) Film wasn't very good back then. Like You couldn't catch night scenes the way you can now. There's a scene in Act 2 where Hunter shows up to Dracula's castle and I literally wrote in my notes shows up in the middle of the day at 12 a.m. because I didn't understand the tinting thing that was going on so I was looking at a bright scene but it's tinted blue so that means it's nighttime and that made sense because that's typically when you'd see Nosferatu out that makes sense so it's pretty cool pretty cool process that I didn't know existed till this movie I want to talk about the horror elements in this. What horror elements? Just kidding. No, there were some good ones. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, Yeah, I was going to say it's actually really good. Um, I think that this movie does a really good job of setting up atmospheric horror, even if it's not necessarily jump scares. And I can imagine audiences at the time being very freaked out by this movie. Totally. I mean, just looking at him is freaky. And he doesn't have to do anything. I kind of talked a little bit about the special effects that I thought would have been creepy at the time. I mean, they're very simple. They're they're pretty straightforward, practical effects, but they carried a lot of weight. I think the moments of Hutter dealing with or encountering Orlock around the castle is just so ominous when he sees Orlock outside of his bedroom, when he finds Orlock in the coffin, in the crypt, in the basement. Just these moments of like, it just feels like it's very suffocating for for Hutter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's stuck with him. And, and this guy has some really weird habits. He only comes out at night. He sleeps in a coffin. <laughs> he kind of just like, sneaks around in general and there's also a really good shot at the end when he is staring across the street at nina he's just like Mm -hmm. (laughs) really wide eyes and his buck buck teeth sharp teeth are sticking out of his mouth staring at her (laughs) he has those creepy little bugles teeth um which is so funny and there is um very appreciable kill counts to this movie i mean 
in the ship that he takes from um, Transylvania to get to London, the sailors aboard the ship, it says that they've come down with a mystery illness, but every time they go below deck, uh, they basically die. (laughs) (laughs) And there's at least eight of them. Like he kills eight of these sailors on this journey. Yeah. How does he even make it across the ocean? He's got those mystical powers. yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then, as mentioned earlier, they blame it on the plague, but at all of these different port cities they stop at, not just London, but they're they're stopping along the way on this journey. And it's just this wave of like death and destruction that he leaves behind as they're killing these people. Yeah. Pretty much every cross on a door means that he he got to somebody and Mm -hmm. pretty much every door has a cross on it. I think there might have been one that they skipped in the movie for adding a little realism but um pretty much every door had a cross on it it really feels like the locals are justified in their superstitions about not going to the castle not going anywhere near the grounds even when they're trying to take hutter up to the property they're like we're not going any further than here and also you should probably not go any further (laughs) yes I, i i felt like that was a little bit of horror too this guy is going on a I don't know, not a quest, but I mean, it's a pretty long journey to get to this guy and he's alone. And every step of the way, people are like, turn back. You don't want to go that way. And every step of the way, there are fewer and fewer people that he could potentially rely on to help him to the point where murdered. Yeah, (laughs) they like don't want to go anywhere near his castle because all their friends are getting murdered. But at one point, he... I don't know how far away from the castle he is. He's pretty far. The The coach uh, drops him off and is like, all right, you're on your own now. Like, we're not going any further. And that's scary. It is. It really shows why Dracula, Orlok, Nosferatu in this movie must want to leave Transylvania because he has a reputation here and people avoid him. It would probably be increasingly hard to get victims right because he's not able to just lure naive people uh, because all the locals are savvy (laughs) into his tricks and his glamour and they're like yeah he has a range that he works within yeah and so you just don't you don't cross that range if you want to survive would you recommend that people watch this movie i would recommend everybody who hasn't seen this movie to watch it it's public domain so you have access to it and it's kind of a monumental horror movie. I think it's just something mm-hmm. you should see because you can. I don't think you'll get scared. <laughs> We're past that now. Um, <laughs> but it's it's easy to see why it would have been scary at the time. So yeah, check it out. What about you? I agree. I think that for the just historical element, you should check it out. I think if you've watched a lot of horror movies, you're a big horror fan, you want to see where some of these references come from, I think you would be doing yourself a favor to watch this movie. And it's not a bad movie to watch. Some silent films are kind of a slog or aren't plotted well enough to be engaging. This one is. So I would definitely recommend it. Well, that takes us to Count Dracula, our 70s Dracula, much cuter looking Dracula also. with the incomparable christopher lee yes we're so happy to see him in another movie we we get to cover him a lot on the show which is fun he has played so many villains 
yeah, this movie was important to him. He wanted a movie that was true to Dracula. So him mm-hmm. and him and the director got together and were like, we're going to make the most true Bram Stoker's version of Dracula that there ever was. So I kind of want to just trust Sir Christopher Lee and be like, yep, this is the book. <laughs> this is how it went. It's faithful, but I feel like Christopher Lee put in all of his chips with the wrong director. <laughs> Definitely. <laughs> so from 1958 to 1971, Christopher Lee played Dracula in nine different movies. Oh my gosh. And his portrayal of Dracula for a generation of people, like genuinely for people who are like, boomers this is dracula yeah. like because he was just in so many of these films this is my dad's favorite dracula this is he said right. this scared him growing up <laughs> and i was like what are you talking about uh the hammers uh movies with christopher lee as dracula are considered iconic and i have not seen a single one of those this is the only christopher lee dracula movie that i've seen and what a movie to start with <laughs> <laughs> No kidding. It's so obviously low budget. We can start there. Let's talk about this directing. Let's talk about this budget. Uh, the director goes by Jess Franco, also Jesus um, Franco. Uh, he is known for making low budget B-movies and exploitation movies. Count Dracula is almost certainly the most mainstream movie that he ever made. Do you know, did he work with notable actors like Christopher Lee normally? No. I mean, I looked at some of his other movies and (laughs) there are some titles that are definitely intriguing, like Vampiros Lesbos (laughs) is one of them. And She Killed in Ecstasy. (laughs) Yeah, a lot of very like sexy 70s. I am very curious to watch his other stuff, but the, the directing in here... I have to remind myself that it's not a product of its time. It's sometimes really easy to watch movies from 60s, 70s, even the 80s and say like, oh, well, of course it's not good because it was made in 1970. Yeah. But when you think about movies that came out before this movie, like uh, Vertigo and the Birds and Rosemary's Baby. Space Odyssey. (laughs) Yeah. It's not a product of it its is time. Like not. people were making good movies. Like good movies, good films were coming out around this time in the decades leading up to this time. This is just a bad director with a low budget. There is no excuse. <laughs> <laughs> the I don't know if this is a if this was caused by the low budget, but the music also it was like this part of the movie that was really trying to be good. Like it was trying to be mainstream. I thought the motif or the melody was was interesting. Like the the that they keep riffing on, but they keep riffing on it. It's the same, it's the same. music throughout the whole movie. I felt like it was vaudeville horror music. Yes. Like it felt like it was trying to be very serious, but it's so overwrought. And it just every time there is a scary scene or Dracula does something it's like here we go again here's the same music (laughs) (laughs) really repetitive music 
But I, I'm not sure if that was a low budget thing or not. I just definitely wanted to call it out because it was starting to drive me nuts by the end. Actually, it was starting to drive me batty by the end. <laughs> I, I, this movie isn't intending to be funny, but it is funny. It is. The number of intense zoom shots or like supreme close-ups on people's faces it really I was like oh it makes sense that this director is coming from an exploitation film background because it's that like high drama like we want to see like a full screen full of face yes <laughs> in this scene yes yeah there were quite a few scenes where it's just a shot of somebody usually Dracula and and you're just staring at it you're staring at that face and I, mm-hmm. I got the sense that these were scenes in which he's telecommunicating something. Yeah. I mostly, can see that. but it was it went on for such a long time. I was reading though too that there were reshoots of this movie where they could not get all of the actors on set at the same time. Yes. And so they would film one of the actors doing all of their lines and then they would just when they could film the other actor doing all of their lines and then just edit them together which is why you have like all of these scenes like with Van Helsing and Count Dracula like they're only in one scene together in this movie and they're not actually in scene together because they weren't on set at the same time (laughs) they filmed their they filmed the scene with these two actors separately and then spliced it together it's like making a like an animated film right like you're just sort of working off yourself and hoping (laughs) it translates that was super funny the other special effect that I thought was hilarious was the bat that we keep seeing (laughs) it's like a little toy bat flying around and you kind of see its silhouette through the window and it's very obviously not a real bat the bat is very funny there was one scene where I was like wait did we just see the like wires on that bat? Probably. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's that's the that's the quality that we're dealing with here, folks. I mean, the camera's kind of shaky. The performances, though, I feel like I feel like the actors assumed that the finished product was going to match the performances that they brought. And it must be such a surreal experience oh because when you're an actor, you're on set and you've got your lines, you've got your performance, you're giving it your all. You're not phoning it in most of the time. But the final editing, like you're not seeing what's happening. Like you're not seeing like the director saying like, oh, zoom in on Christopher Lee's face. Zoom in again. Zoom in again. Like you're not seeing that part of it. And so can you imagine like Christopher Lee like in a theater like watching like the finished product of this movie? Or like that's how they spliced us together. What were they thinking? (laughs) How did actors, how do actors sometimes promote certain films with a straight face? Sometimes the the editing room just really does a number on their theatrical, you know, work. I mean, this movie had an interesting release structure too because it came out in 1970 in Germany first. And I, this was the era of, dubbing not subtitles and so when you look for trailers of this movie of count dracula 1970 it's all with not great german dubbing oh my gosh. <laughs> over it 
also. And so you're not even getting the benefit of like Christopher Lee's deep resonant voice as Dracula, which really does bring something to the character. The taxidermy scene. That's apparently a scene that actually happens in the book, by the way. Oh, really? Yes. (laughs) Oh, that's, you know, sure. (laughs) This movie's selling points are that it has Christopher Lee in it and that they insisted on making it very faithful to the to the novel yeah but man that taxidermy looks old it looks really worn i mean some of the eyes are crooked (laughs) in this scene the animals are sliding around on whatever base they're on as if they're alive Mm -hmm. i think or coming to life yeah they're like enchanted in some way not clear it's not another thing that they did to save money with this movie was completely cut out his passage over to England. We don't see that at all. Yeah. <laughs> That's a pretty big That's scene. True. Yeah. No, that doesn't happen. Not very faithful there, Christopher Lee. One of the things that I like about this movie, um, besides Christopher Lee, is all of the women, I mean, this is supposed to take place in the 1800s, right? Yes. But all of the women have this beautiful, like, late 60s makeup and hairstyles. Like, they all kind of look like fembots. Yes. They have this, like, big, big poofy hair, and they're, like, pastel-colored, like, eyeshadow. And I'm just like, ooh, they look so cute. But, like, they do not look like they're from the 1800s at all. No, they do not. But they're really pretty. I thought they were the cutest pair of chicks across the three movies. They are very pretty. We also get three vampire babes in this one, too. So we do get Dracula's brides. I think that was removed from Nosferatu. So it was kind of cool to see them come back. Like we see that there is a sexual element now to Dracula. I do like how Christopher Lee's portrayal of Dracula is that he is one of the first sensual depictions of Dracula. He is not scaring people. He's charming people. He has this more aristocratic air about him um, that is very appealing to people. And he gets younger as he sucks blood. So he gets better and better Mm -hmm. looking the more you watch the movie. (laughs) Yes. I like that they have that where he starts off with the white hair and the white mustache and then as he's drinking blood as the movie goes he gets that very iconic black widow's peak slicked back hair and more youthful appearance and that's what you think of when you think of Dracula and that's like the part of the appeal of Dracula right is to be a vampire is like yes it's eternal life but it's also like eternal youth and all you need to do is like engage in a little bit of blood sucking (laughs) and you too can be as young and virile as Christopher Lee. (laughs) Doctors hate this one simple trick. What did you think of Renfield in this movie? What did I think of Renfield in this movie? This character was sort of merged in Nosferatu, it was it was like two characters in one as the uh, real estate agent. But right. in this movie, we get a crazy person, Renfield, and we get the real estate agent separate. Yeah, Nosferatu, it's Knock as the combined character. And in here, I know that in the book that the character of Renfield has this interesting, uh, what they call vagicals, where this like impulse to eat like animals and insects yes. 
so and gross. it's so gross yes and i um you know anything in a horror movie where you're just like Ugh, like i don't like that like i tend to like that <laughs> yes he is so yes. unsettling as a character yes which yeah. i thought was great i mean he's definitely doesn't come across as an 1800s mental institution patient he comes across as no. a very 70s patient hairstyle like the the white room all that stuff I I hate watching him on screen because he grosses me out, right? Like eating flies. He, it's very I think gross. he like wraps yeah. his hair around his toes at one point. He reaches into the toilet to pick out the box of bugs that he's going to eat. The first time I watched this, mm -hmm. I had to look away because I really thought he was going to pull out a turd and like scribble on the walls or something. I was he's very afraid that very was going to happen. Gross. It's uh, he's probably the most actually disturbing character mm -hmm. in this movie because i think that when you're watching dracula he's not doing things that are unpredictable i felt like at least what dracula does in this movie is like yeah he's going to try and suck blood he's going to keep people prisoner he's going to turn into a bat <laughs> he's going to do like the things that you would expect he's going to be in a coffin but Renfield is unpredictable because you don't know what he's going to do everything he does is gross and unnerving and the other characters also don't like being around him like they don't like yeah. they see him eating flies and and he's making claims that like oh i'm getting the life force from these from the flies um, and that's when Van Helsing like kind of diagnoses, diagnoses, wow, Diagnoses? that's a hard word to say. Diag <laughs> he diagnoses <Diagnotered>. him, <laughs> he diagnoses him with a zoophagical <laughs> uh, condition. And you have, to, I mean, I am sure it's because he's been like glamored by Dracula and he wants to be in Dracula's image, but he hasn't gone through the actual process of like, being turned into a vampire. His backstory is really interesting too. They came upon him with his dead daughter's body, which had been drained mm -hmm. of blood, right? And he had yeah. just lost his mind. He had been with her for a few days and was fine. And then they they find him with her and he's gone completely insane. Like he is who he mm -hmm. is today. So we know that he's met Dracula but we don't know the whole story because he doesn't speak anymore. So his story is really kind of sad and very uncomfortable. He's just a very uncomfortable dude. It seems so cruel to drain the blood of a person's daughter and then leave that person just alive and insane. Yeah. Like, why not? I mean, obviously you love drinking blood. Why would you not just drink the father's blood too? Just do it. Like, so mean. <laughs> what a bully. He just likes fucking with people. It seems cruel and it seems like he wants to, yeah, have playthings because yeah. I mean, the Harker character, he could have so easily just drunk his blood. I mean, the vampire babes like wanted to and he has to come in and say, this one is mine. mine. And For what reason? Yeah, it's not really clear. Exactly. And I think it's, like he likes the psychological torture. He knows that 
there's a connection to Mina there. And so as long as Mina's like still on the hook for Harker to come back. Yeah, there's a couple of these instances with with Renfield and then with Harker where it's like, okay, these male characters, he's kind of stringing along or letting them go crazy or seem crazy, right? Because Harker also gets institutionalized in this movie. How many times do you think they said Lucy in this movie? Um, Approximately 50,000. <laughs> I was desperately looking for a word cloud of of the script, and I really (laughs) thought Lucy would be the top word, but couldn't find anything. Lucy's Mina's friend in this movie, and she is under the influence of Dracula. He's he's specifically feeding off of her, and that's what's making him younger um, as the movie goes. But I swear to God, there's that one scene in particular where they're just like calling out for Lucy. And you're like, oh, was this just three solid pages in the yes. script of just the word Lucy? <laughs> Do you think they actually write it out? Because <laughs> I think that'd be pretty great. Like, like you missed one. <laughs> <laughs> I bet the director was just like, okay, you, you're looking for Lucy. And so she's like, Lucy, Lucy, Lucy. And then she like looks off set to the director and he's like, keep going, like, keep going, yeah. more Lucy's. Like he's just like <laughs> encouraging her for another five minutes to just keep saying we Lucy. We need more Lucy. <laughs> and then you also hear the whispering by Dracula, like calling out to her like mystically. Yes. And it just oh goes my gosh. on and on. And at some point, I had to mute the movie because I was getting really annoyed <laughs> by it. <laughs> That's so funny. Things like that, like the writing's not great. The guys really give it their all, though. I mean, good for them. <laughs> <laughs> I believe them when they want Lucy. Yes. <laughs> what did you think of that opera scene? You know, I have never gone to an opera in person. My only experience with operas is via pop culture so like when I'm watching a movie and the characters go to an opera and I'm like this is what operas must be like they have little tiny binoculars and they dress fancy (laughs) (laughs) this opera was very silly it's a really quick like throwaway scene when Dracula Mm -hmm. finally catches uh, Mina at the opera and you look down and it's all of these Guys, I think it's all men. I, I can't remember anymore, but they're just standing, not really even organized very well on the <laughs> stage. They they kind of look a little like slumped and not like like they're performing. They they feel like they're just some guys they grabbed off the street and tossed them on the stage. And they're holding the the music sheets in front of them, which which is not normal. <laughs> it's very amateur <laughs> very much so I worked at Blue Lake Fine Arts Camp for several years in college and even those kids didn't have <laughs> sheets of paper in front of them to sing from they just memorized the music so that was the first that like really jumped out at me and I was like what is this thing that she's attending it's awful Did she pay for this? It's just like another one of those elements where you're like, yeah, this movie wasn't really well thought through because they were just like, oh, the main point of this scene isn't the opera. That's just kind of the background to this scene. So we're not going to put any effort into making it look like a real opera or make these look like real opera performers. They could have very easily just had like a single person like lip syncing an opera. (laughs) 
and it would have been way more effective than like this ragtag group of like people in a jumble on stage. It's like they actually wanted them to sing, but they didn't get singers. No. You're right. They should have just had a group of people pretend to sing and then play music. They were dubbing anyway. <laughs> it's just mind boggling. Yes, that's what I mean is I think that if they had put like a little more thought and effort into like the overall process, it would have just made a lot more sense. Lots of funny stuff in this movie. Did you find anything in this movie scary? <sighs> Kate, I don't know. It was so campy. I had a hard time deciding what was scary and what wasn't. I think in general, the way Dracula is always kind of staring through you is a bit creepy. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's those are some of those long scenes of nothing happening, but he's uh, intently staring at a character. I, I can see that being kind of creepy. Definitely Renfield is creepy, which we talked about. Mm-hmm. His scenes probably were the ones that freaked me out the most because <laughs> he's so gross. Agreed. Agreed. I think that this movie had so many elements that were not thought out or just really poorly executed that it took me out of the horror. I feel like in order to be scared by something, you have to be immersed in it and you can't like it has to be naturalistic enough to lose yourself in it so that something startles you or surprises you or raises your tension around it so it's hard for me to feel like anything in this movie was scary I think that Renfield was creepy yeah I think that Christopher Lee is ominous like I think that the lurking he does the way he stares after like the characters even as he's like getting younger through the movie like you know it's unnerving but there's so many other things like the music and the weird uh close-up shots of the characters that just like take you out of that so quickly that it just totally diffuses any actual scariness to it yeah you know maybe looking back to the beginning of the movie that was probably the scariest when this lawyer goes to meet with Dracula and everybody again is just like Nosferatu is telling him to leave mm-hmm. um there's one person that is like, oh, I don't very, speak very much English, but he apparently knows enough to tell him, oh, you only have God on your side at this point. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, that's not a fragmented <laughs> sentence. And that is not like a standard English sentence either. Okay, but that's like, <laughs> it's killing me. This is like one of the phrases that I would love to know in like five different languages. Yeah, <laughs> Like to just be like, oh, I don't Carry speak that very in your much back pocket. Japanese. Um, or I don't speak very much Mandarin, but you only have God on your side. <laughs> like just, just trot it out to just really, really scare people. It's pretty ominous for this person who doesn't speak much English to know that line. Would you recommend this movie then? Eh, I, you know, there are over 30 Dracula movies. I don't even think this is one you know, I'm going to recommend it because Christopher Lee is in it. And that's enough, you know, to to make a movie worth watching. But I also don't recommend that with my whole heart and soul. <laughs> I don't know how else to put it. <laughs> it's very tepid. Yeah. I wouldn't blame anyone for not watching it. Yeah. I do not recommend this movie. 
I don't recommend it. I am certain that this is not the best Christopher Lee Dracula movie. Probably it's not. It's probably not even in the top five of Christopher Lee Dracula movies. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny in its own way. It kind of drags towards the end. Um, like I said, it's not scary. So you would have to be like a pretty big Christopher Lee fan to just muscle through this movie just for him. So yeah. I mean – Take it with a grain of salt. If you love Christopher Lee, like, go, do it. Go nuts. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, that takes us to our third Dracula movie Bram Stoker's Dracula. The thing that kills me about this movie is that it was directed by fucking Francis Ford Coppola. That's what I was going to say. Like, what? Well, how did he get mixed into this Dracula nonsense? It's so funny. <laughs> It's baffling, genuinely baffling. This is the guy who did Apocalypse Now, the Godfather movies. He is regarded as one of the greatest directors of all time. And to give it credit, this movie has a 75% rating on Rotten Tomatoes, but I don't think that that is deserved. <laughs> oh, really? That's so funny. <laughs> I <laughs> I actually enjoyed watching this one. <laughs> I actually loved this movie. I <laughs> but I think it's a bad movie. I think it's a very enjoyable bad movie. I think it's one Maybe. of those. <laughs> Maybe it is. You know, I had a hard time deciding if it was good or bad because the acting is all over the place depending on what actor you're talking about. Mm -hmm. The music is great. Music's great. The effects are great. Effects are great. But I guess some of the, I don't know, like some of the plot points are a little cheesy. There, there's some cheesy stuff in here. Why don't you think it deserves 75%? The concept of the Dracula movie is really about young entrepreneurial Jonathan Harker traveling from his safety and comfort of London to the unknown Transylvania and like being followed by this evil force back that like in like infiltrates and ruins his life right like it like gets his partner mm -hmm. Mina and like the story like the story is supposed to be about Jonathan Harker and Keanu Reeves acting accent his delivery is so bad that he has <sighs> yeah. almost no scenes in this movie like they cut out so much of the Jonathan Harker plotline in order to make it a Gary Oldman as Dracula plotline. And I feel like watching it, I was just like, every scene that Keanu Reeves is in is um, one of the worst scenes I've ever seen. And <laughs> it just gets worse and worse. And I love with Keanu Reeves. And I love Keanu Reeves as an actor. Like he's just uh, not And as a human good. being. He's like, he's made excellent movies he's such a good person this is not the right type of movie for him this should not be your introduction to Keanu Reeves because you'll never watch another Keanu Reeves movie again it's frankly baffling and like I just the fact that they it feels like they almost retconned the plot line in order to not have Keanu Reeves on screen as much is why I think that yes, this movie is particularly bad Okay, I can see that. I, you know, I, now that I've seen three of the same story, basically, <laughs> I think my brain just fills in the missing pieces. So it doesn't 
it doesn't strike me as much how disjointed the plot kind of is because of that. And I love Gary Oldman. I love Gary <laughs> so Oldman. Good. I think that Gary Oldman as Dracula of the three movies that we watched is maybe controversially my favorite Dracula. Oh, for sure. Yeah. yeah. He's great. I love him as Dracula in this movie. He commits. And I love him before he becomes the monster, too. Mm -hmm. He's so great. Yes. And I think that, like, Coppola did the... It's so funny to say Coppola's name in relation to a Dracula movie. But, like, it would be like, oh, Coppola's Godzilla. You know? It's just, like, a funny... Yes. (laughs) It's a funny thing. But, I mean, culturally, like, we love the Dracula story. So, of course, like, you're going to get a really good director trying his hand at it every once in a while. But I think that Gary Oldman is so committed as an actor that the different kind of phases he portrays as Dracula, where he's this human hundreds of years ago and losing the love of his life after this great battle, this historical battle, um, to then later you see him as this like ancient decrepit monster interfacing with Harker to the like extreme suave Dracula when he's seducing Mina in London like just his outfit that he's in when he's in London that like three-piece gray suit and his top hat and his little glasses it's a pretty good look (laughs) he looks so spiffy I love it yes I loved his makeup as the like the werewolf or the werebat version of himself Mm, mm -hmm. it was so cool out of the three movies we watched it's the first time you actually see him mutate into a bat or you see part of the process and it's really scary looking I am so glad that you mentioned this because that was something that I did not really get while I was watching it he's transformed into this werewolf creature and we see him mutate in and out of it um, particularly when he's attacking and like kind of raping kind of having sex with Lucy like it's creepy it's very creepy it's kind of that same like glamour effect that's that we talked about in interview where you're looking at Lucy having sex with this bat monster and you're like why isn't she screaming (laughs) why is she doing this and when she comes out of it she thinks that it was just a nightmare like the glamour is so effective that even Mina is like what are you doing like she saw it she like saw it happening and his glamour is so immediate and so effective that as soon as he disappears himself like Mina forgets that yeah it was happening and as much as I love the makeup now the makeup in this movie was cause for me to hold a grudge against it really most of my life yes (laughs) it was nominated and won for uh best makeup in uh in 1992 for for the academy awards in 1992 and it was up against batman returns and Kid Me loved Batman Returns. <laughs> I got to see it in theater. I was Catwoman for Halloween. I loved uh, Penguin. was so, so cool. And I, of course, loved his makeup. And it's Danny DeVito. So what's not to love? And I was watching the awards that night. And I remember them playing the clips from the movies that were nominated. And I was, like, clapping and so excited when they got to <laughs> Batman Returns. And then they announced it was Dracula. And I was like, what? <laughs> Oh my gosh. How could Dracula beat the penguin? <laughs> oh, that's so sweet though. Oh, that's so funny. 
So I this was my first time watching it. <laughs> I loved the makeup. Yeah, it's really great makeup. I like how monstrous he looks and like I said, ancient at the beginning as he's taking uh, Harker on the, the castle. And then as he's feeding on Lucy and he's just like regaining his youth and is quite handsome. This one just is really leaning into the charming sexual vampire trope, like harder than like any of the other movies that we've talked about. Yeah. Young Gary Oldman is really hot, which I didn't know. Uh, so that was cool. Super hot, super hot Dracula. Yeah. I was like, yeah, I can see why Mina would, who's played by Winona Ryder. Also, terrible acting from Winona Ryder. <sighs> I know. So bad. Why? You know, these two were a thing. Keanu and Winona at the time were mm-hmm. a thing. So I'm assuming they just sort of came as some sort of package deal. And it just wasn't a good deal. <laughs> Neither of them were that great. I feel like the 90s is particularly bad about casting based on star power rather than acting capability. And so you get movies like Interview with a Vampire where they cast Brad Pitt, Tom Cruise, and Antonio Banderas, even though they bear like zero resemblance to the book characters they're based on. Yeah. In this movie, you get Keanu Reeves, who cannot do a British accent to save his life. Winona Ryder. have asked him to try. (laughs) They should have just let him have his normal accent. Like, I know I he know. sounds like a California surfer, but in this movie, he just sounds like a California surfer who can't do a British accent. <laughs> <laughs> he does. It's so wooden. And Winona Ryder is, like, not much better. Like, I, I do think that she has, like, a very, very beautiful gammon look to her she has those huge dark eyes Mm -hmm. I actually think that her acting is like a notch above Keanu's because I did find her convincing as Elisabetta versus Mina so like props to her for that but um I was just frustrated that they are acting against Anthony Hopkins and Gary Oldman who are like professionally trained theater actors and are excellent. They're excellent actors who are really bringing it. And then you've got these two who don't deserve the same amount of screen time. These two clowns who can't do a British accent to save their life. Both of those two are British actors and they can do perfectly great American accents. So mm-hmm. I, I have to imagine, maybe they were all friends. I don't know. Maybe they played cards after work was done or whatever, but they had to have been annoyed that they were put against these two. Like they had no business being in the same movie together with Francis Ford Coppola. How did how, I know? How did Coppola like get like drawn into the like web of Keanu Reeves and Winona Ryder hype in order to cast them in this movie? And that's, I mean, its own thing. I will say that I think that Gary Oldman was able to facilitate so much chemistry between himself and Winona. Like I I felt that there was yeah. even though they're an item in real life, Keanu as Harker and Winona as Mina, zero chemistry. Like it was really hard for me to buy <laughs> that they like loved each other and like wa- wanted each other. Um Gary Oldman, I don't know if it's because he's like a bit older than her he's like 13 years older than Winona Ryder in real life and like a thousand years older than Mina in the movie yes it felt like 
he was like attracted to her and like was bringing this like dangerous older taboo element to their relationship where she's like this naive like younger woman and he's seducing her but she's kind of giving into it like I was like oh I buy this I like buy that this relationship would happen like this I mean, honestly, I was rooting for Dracula the whole movie. Oh, my gosh. Me too. (laughs) Please get rid of Keanu and just take her away with you and go have a fun vampire life because you're really hot and you're a good actor. You know, I was surprised, um, but then not surprised when I thought about it, that Mina um, does become seduced by Dracula. And then I was like, well, of course she would. Dracula is actually the hero of this movie. Like, (laughs) he is the through line like we start the movie with his backstory and then it just carries all the way through he's actually a little tragic yes um there's this whole like helen of troy thing going on where he loses the love of his life and he comes back so angry from the war after hearing she's dead that he like takes on this curse and becomes dracula because of that Yes, very explicitly anti-religious, um, where he yes. like drives his sword into the cross, and it the cross like starts bleeding, <laughs> and he's like cursing God, and is like, "I will just become the undead." You know, he's like very much like, "Yeah, I am. I am against God. I'm against religion because of like what this has done to me," uh, which is way more explicit than in either of the other movies totally there's a lot of sex in this movie it is the sexiest dracula movie (laughs) i think we have this season well sexiest vampire movie anyway but definitely the sexiest dracula movie you know when i watched interview for the fifth time for this season i was like is this the horniest vampire movie and then I watched Bram Stoker's Dracula for the first time and I was like, oh, no, no, no. (laughs) This one takes the cake. There's a lot of just straight up nudity in this one. Yeah, they go for it, which I appreciate. I think that's a pretty important thread that they set up right from the beginning in this story. Like romance, sex, love, lust, like that's all a big thread throughout the whole thing so Mm -hmm. I think it works it's just sort of like after watching the last two it's a bit out of nowhere it's jarring for sure because there's the implication in the Christopher Lee one of the seductive powers of vampires where they're being charmed or glamored and there's this potential allure of immortality and eternal youthfulness and all of that and then this one ties it up with yeah the, this sexual seduction as well where it's not it's very like bloodlust right like it's the blood and the lust in this one and I think the the vampire brides are just like so sex oriented in this movie I mean they're fully nude they trap Harker by just straight up seducing him the three of them at the same time a quick sidebar about the special effects. I really like how they filmed them backwards and then played it forward to show like their movements because it made them look really unnatural in that scene. It's really creepy. Yeah. It it's funny how that 
really simple effect can totally make something seem jarring. Mm -hmm. I mean, aren't they like blowing him in one scene? Yeah. It's so like out there. Yeah. It is. It's so explicit. Like they're stripping off his clothes. They're kissing him and biting him. And he's like into it, but not into it. But then into it again when they start blowing him. But then they bite him. And like the fetish aspect of vampirism I think is really – on high alert in this movie. I think that they really lean into the like, yeah, it's pain, but it's pleasure. And then you get all this benefit out of it. Yeah, very Hellraiser. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. I can't wait to do Hellraiser with you. (laughs) I know. That one's going to be wild. (laughs) It's going to be so fun. How about that Kama Sutra book? Uh, That was was a funny uh, addition to this one. Yes. I I think that... This is where I felt like, okay, they actually were setting up Mina to be more amenable to Dracula's seduction because she is not an innocent, pure flower like they would want you to think in the other movies. She is virginal, but she's sexual and she wants to have a sexual relationship. She's checking out these Kama Sutra books. She's giggling with her friend I mean she's kind of shocked but like her friend is like a little raunchy (laughs) and like she has girl talk with her friend about uh sexy things so I I like it because I feel like that's just kind of how young women are with each other they're they're interested in sex it's very natural yeah I think if they dropped the long nails then this would have actually been kind of a hot hot movie for me but those long (laughs) nails man they always ruin it for me I can't get over it you're going to have to find a fan cut where they like edit out all the long nails and then it'll be perfect for you. <laughs> Fellow females who hate long nails on men. <laughs> Hit me up. Mina's uh, friend Lucy, she's a total horn dog in this movie. Yeah. Way more than in the other ones. I think in the Nosferatu, uh, the Lucy character, and in the second one, she's married, right? I barely remember Lucy from Nosferatu was there a Lucy I I can't even remember anymore I think it was so throwaway yeah in Nosferatu um that's where um Mina goes to stay with her friends with her married friends and that they don't have the same name that's right they take care of her (laughs) but they take care of her and that's the Lucy character um whereas in this movie Lucy is single but on the hunt for a husband she's three suitors and she's just making sexual innuendos she's kind of leading them on she totally wants all of them she does (laughs) she wants her own little harem and she could probably get it i mean it's a funny like parallel to you know the dracula's brides where there's the three women who are like so overtly sexual and like kind of do the bidding of Dracula and then she has her three male suitors who are like at her beck and call and like would do anything for her that is an interesting parallel Dracula keeps adding to his harem whereas this woman who has a harem it's taken away from her right she's Mm -hmm. she has to be part of Dracula's harem doesn't work the other way around yeah she gets pulled into Dracula's seduction she ends up under the spell of the glamour having sex with the wear bat version of Dracula and he just continues to use her to uh, make himself younger and so he's just slowly draining her blood as the movie goes and 
but doing it in like a very like orgasmic way for her like when the doctor suitor comes in and try to figure out what's wrong so with uncomfortable. her like she's just writhing around in bed and like pulling her clothes off and everyone's like what are you doing to her and he's like <laughs> throwing his Standing hands up here. because yeah she's just getting kind of like dream molested by <laughs> by Dracula she's having one of those wet dreams that we all hear about yeah there's just so much sexuality I mean the tension between Mina and Dracula when he comes to London it doesn't even seem like he's glamoring her he's just like so forceful a presence around her that like it seems like he's kind of pulling her into his web I wonder if she's easier to prey upon first because she is so I mean, I'm not going to say loose because she is also a virgin, but like she's so open about her sexuality. Like she's receptive to it. Lucy, um, Lucy. She makes sense. Yeah, Lucy, Lucy. She makes sense as a as a easy victim for mm-hmm. him. I could see that. I mean, it's a little victim blaming Megan, but I think. I know. I'm just, <laughs> I'm. I'm talking from Dracula's I, point of view. No, no. I, I totally see what you're saying. She seems more um, open to this type of experience. Like she seems like she's already likely to wander around kind of half dressed and, yeah. you know, she's got a lot of skin exposed for add another suitor to her harem. Yeah. She's ripe for the biting. I actually really liked Lucy in this one. I thought I was like, Oh, she's the coolest. Lucy. Oh, I like, I like Lucy too. I like her, um, curly long red hair and her fun dresses. And she's so spunky. Like, this movie's got tw- easily twice the number of characters as the oh yeah uh, other movies, but this one had a real budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, when the director of Apocalypse Now tells you that he's going to make a Dracula movie, I think you just give him a blank check, right? <laughs> <laughs> In terms of horror elements for this one, I didn't find it particularly scary. Even the Renfield character in this one, who is played by Tom Waits, kind of surprisingly, is almost a touch more on the comedic side than on the creepy side. I hated this Renfield. Yeah, this Renfield just didn't really do it for me. So I think that the kind of creepiest elements were the special effects where you see Dracula's eyes kind of like watching over the characters in various scenes. Is that horror? I don't know. It's creepy, but yeah. What do you think? Yeah, there's so much sex in this movie that it feels like it's more just in general shocking as opposed to horrific. I think the part that would scare me the most if I was scared by this movie would be what happens to Lucy. Mm -hmm. She basically loses her agency. And is literally giving her life without knowing it mm-hmm. to Dracula. And she dies and it's not really up to her. And I think that's always a scary thought, losing one's agency. So I would say that's the element of horror that stuck with me most from this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's totally fair. I do think that the way that they have to kill the vampires is pretty brutal because it's not just a stake <laughs> through the heart. It's also decapitation. And so Lucy does die and then she she's had like so much vampire interaction that of course she's going to come back as a vampire. They have to go ahead and treat her like a vampire and kill her. I know. 
felt bad for Winona's character, for Mina. You know, her friend is dying. Like, she's having these weird sexual thoughts about a person she doesn't really know. And she's also a bit out of her own head through a lot of this movie. It seems, like, more psychological than, like, suspenseful, right? Because so much of this is psychological. It's, like, this weird gaslighting happening and... Mina not being sure what's actually going on with her fiance while being seduced by this mysterious stranger. So in terms of horror, I don't know, like I'm very middling about it. I would, however, definitely recommend this movie. Oh, yes. I love this one. I I will watch this again at some point in my life for fun. I enjoyed it. And I also recommend it. Yeah, I might like watch it again this weekend. Like I really enjoyed it. <laughs> I thought it was a great movie. I really loved the costuming in the well, the whole movie has great costuming, but especially the beginning where they show Dracula as Vlad the Impaler and mm-hmm. he has this red armor on mm-hmm. and it looks like muscle. It it's mm-hmm. designed to look like Almost like exposed flesh, muscle, and all that. Yeah, it's very cool. It's bright red, really scary looking. I I thought that was really cool costuming. Okay, so an example of like thoughtful costuming here is Elisabetta in the ancient Vlad the Impaler times is wearing this green dress that has this like floral stitching on it. And the first time that Dracula sees Mina in their contemporary London times, she's wearing a dress that has like a similar like leaf motif embroidered into it. And I just thought that that was so good. I I mean, the dress styles are completely different, um, but it still has that like echo of like this character. And so like it really builds on the like reincarnation theory of like Mina being a reincarnated Elisabetta. I just really liked that. That's a good catch. I didn't catch that. I mean, yeah, it's a Francis Ford Coppola movie. You should just watch it. It's great. And it's a lot of fun. And there's a lot of great sex. Yeah. And the parts where Keanu Reeves, like terrible acting, like the parts of this movie that are bad are still good because they're bad enough to be good. So, I mean, just give it a shot. It's great. Well, we wanted to go through all of these movies and then dive into how are these movies the same, which you can probably guess by now um, how there might be some overlap between these three stories. Um, But really, what were the key differences between these? We're going to kind of assume here that all of the elements that are the same are probably true to the book. And where they're different, they they may be true to the book or they may be artistic liberties or a mixture of both. I thought there are a few things that stuck out that are kind of fun. I'm going to start with the dogs or <sighs> wolves or hyenas or whatever they were. <laughs> this was such a treat. In all of the movies. <laughs> <laughs> we we didn't start with Bram Stoker. We think we started with the other two. And every time we saw a different wolf being called out on screen, 
we were like, what are they talking about? That's not a wolf. That's a fill in the blank. (laughs) I cannot get over and will maybe never get over that in Nosferatu, they're like, the wolves are out and then they they pan to actual hyenas. Yeah, like a hyena or an aardwolf or one of those types of hyena dogs. I burst out laughing when I saw that. I was like, how did they, why was it easier for them to get their hands on an, a hyena as opposed to a wolf? That uh, is so good. And then we, of course, followed that up with Count Dracula, where they say, ah, there are the wolves. And then they ban to just a bunch of German, German shepherds. shepherds. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to attribute that to the low budget. I'm going to say that's all they could work with. They didn't have, maybe they didn't have money for a wolf handler and uh, like whatever bureaucracy is involved in protecting your, your set. So they stuck with German shepherds. I don't know. I just love that they're so committed to being book accurate, but not committed enough to get the budget to get wolves. (laughs) I would have loved to see German shepherds with like wolf fur sort of like tied on (laughs) to make them look bigger. (laughs) You know, Willow did something like that. Willow had these weird dog creatures they were mythical beasts and you could tell that there was an actual animal Mm -hmm. in the costume but there was like a whole like headdress of this weird animal that they attached somehow Mm -hmm. and would it would run around and you know cause chaos I think it would have been really funny to see that here with the German Shepherds, but like so a low good. budget version where you also see the German Shepherd. <laughs> a German Shepherd in wolf's clothing. Yes. We do finally get wolves, though, in uh, Francis Ford Coppola's, thankfully. Can you imagine? It was really nice payoff, actually. And like, I would love to see other adaptations to see what they do, but I felt like the journey we went on from hyenas to German shepherds to real wolves was such a satisfying arc for me that like I don't want to mess it up. No, you're right. (laughs) I hope we see a version where there's like a cougar or a skunk or something. (laughs) I think that Nosferatu has um, a couple of elements that they just exclude. There's no vampire's brides in Nosferatu. Right. And there's also no Van Helsing. Right. And I thought maybe that was just due to difficulty getting a cast mm-hmm. or maybe budget, maybe editing out those parts of the story help keep it down to one reel. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because I mean, this one is uh, much shorter than the others. I don't know anything about real um, specs, um, but I felt like by excluding the Van Helsing plotline and the Vampire Bride plotline, that it kept the plot pretty zippy. Like it, it just kept it very focused on like Harker's like direct experience with Nosferatu. Yeah, and it turns Mina in, or I guess Nina in this case, into a more heroic character. She essentially gives her life at the end in order to kill Nosferatu. Yes, this is the only movie where the Mina Nina character dies at the end. Right. Yeah. And I mean, I think that that's a really like important plot in this one is that how Dracula dies is 
not by being burned like in the other two, but by this like weird curse breaking thing where he needs to be like trying to attack someone as the daylight is coming in. And so Nina Mina essentially tricks him into coming into her room. And as the daylight comes in, he disintegrates. And I mean, she dies too. So she kind of, yeah, is a complete martyr for it. I liked that each movie kind of had its own little different ending. Mm -hmm. Um, Bram Stoker's also has the twist of the romance. So that added some some variety to our watching it was a little hard i think for me to to watch all three together because i felt like i was watching the same thing in a way so i really appreciated the little subtle differences in plot between the three i mean we could talk about the similarities but like truly the plots are very very close to being the same the differences in the Bram Stoker's version is it's got the added historical element of Dracula's background as Vlad the Impaler and the tragic romance with Elisabetta being reincarnated and that being a really driving force for him. And that is like an explainer as to why he is so attracted to Mina, which like we don't really get reasoning in the other two for why he would be so compelled right. to chase after Mina. We hear about Vlad the Impaler in Bram Stoker's. In Count Dracula, he is based on, or he's a descendant of Attila the Hun. Right. That's thrown in there at some point and not really revisited, but I thought that was interesting. And Nosferatu, I don't think there is a backstory there. He's just a metaphor. Yes, and I I think the differences in the treatment of Dracula in each of these three um, are really good too. I mean, Nosferatu, from the jump, he's an occult monster and he drinks blood, doesn't get any younger or hotter. <laughs> he just no. stays a weird or Batman. <laughs> yeah, he's just a bat. You, do you remember Bat Boy from the National Enquirer? Yes. Like, that's Nosferatu. He's a Bat Boy. He's a bat boy. Yeah. <laughs> Who do you think did the 1800s the best? Oh, that's a great question. You know, Nosferatu. Oh. Yeah. I love it. I think that they were benefited by being the closest to the 1800s. They were only 20 years out. We oh are fr- we are currently further away from the release of Bram Stoker's Dracula than the 1922 Nosferatu was from the 1800s. Oh my gosh. You're right. Yeah, we are 30 years out from the release of Bram Stoker's yeah. Dracula, and 30 years from 1922 was 1892. <laughs> Although, I bet we could totally nail the 90s today pretty well. Or it's coming back. Some of the elements in Count Dracula and Bram Stoker's are, like, too clean, I think. And I think that when you watch Nosferatu, like, the streets and everything like seem a little grimy and like a little dark and like less modern yeah I just imagine that that's like probably more realistic to what the 1800s were like that's fair yeah which did you think well I'll tell you I think Count Dracula was the worst it just (laughs) felt like a 70s movie yep (laughs) (laughs) but um I enjoyed the 1800s of 
uh, Bram Stoker's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it was because they had a lot of money to throw at it, right? So there's like color and really nice cloths and cool interior architecture. I, I love that room that Mina is sitting in. It's like a garden room. It reminds mm-hmm. me of uh, mm-hmm. that greenhouse room in the Winchester Mystery House. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I do think that the interior design in Bram Stoker's is like far and away the best it's like very sumptuous and beautiful to look at like every room just is amazing and I I like that they kind of couch it by saying that Mina's friend Lucy is very wealthy and so she has this very beautiful mansion that they live in and I'm like great I love that you made her rich so that you could just have a very very beautiful set have fun yeah (laughs) Yeah. So I I agree with you. It's probably not the most accurate or maybe it is, maybe it's not, but I enjoyed it the most for sure. Mm -hmm. I'm a a product of my time. (laughs) Any other differences? Nope. Everything else is identical. Great. (laughs) How would you rank these movies? Oh, honestly, I think I would keep Bram Stoker's number one. I, mm-hmm. I enjoyed that the most, followed by Nosferatu and then Count Dracula. <laughs> yeah, I I am a little bit torn. I think that in terms of actual quality of movie, my list is the same of, as yours. Mm-hmm. I do think I would maybe be more likely to rewatch Count Dracula than I would to rewatch Nosferatu. And so if I'm talking about it from a rewatchability standpoint, I would do Bram Stoker's, then Count Dracula, then Nosferatu. I feel like you have okay. to be in the right headspace to watch a silent movie. Yeah. I mean, I like I said, I am going to watch the typo negative version of Nosferatu, so it is going to get a rewatch out of me, but <laughs> I don't know if I would actually rewatch either of them. <laughs> Agreed. But I would Agreed. rewatch Bram Stoker's, yeah. 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 It's like number one with a very very long like large gap between two and three (laughs) yeah yeah uh this was so fun I loved doing this mega episode I loved that we were able to talk about these adaptations and all of their fun little quirks and nuances and it actually makes me like interested in finding other horror movies that are adapting the same story yeah, so we can do other mega episodes. I really hope you guys enjoyed this episode and let us know what your favorite Dracula is. Maybe it's not even on this list. Catch you next week. This was not quite dead. Check out our other episodes wherever you listen to podcasts. Follow us on Instagram at Not Quite Dead Podcast and on Twitter at NQD underscore podcast. Follow our blog for bonus content at notquitedeadpodcast.com. Thanks for listening and happy watching. <laughs>